Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 19th, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, we had another home game, uh, one every month for the last three months. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty steady here, and um, if I keep losing, then they're not going to be steady anymore. I'll we'll go back to where I'm uh, permit and make you guys have to play somewhere else. But uh, no, actually, this is the first one I, I lost a little bit. In. Um, I think last time I did all right. Um, you rallied last time at your house, I think, right? You were down yeah, and then rallied. But I, I really rallied this time to get way unstuck, and then had a huge opportunity to get completely unstuck and make a profit on a, just a every card in the deck but one. PLO hand at the end, and of course, none of the cards that helped me came. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember that hand. That was a brutal hand. You showed me. You're like, how did I miss? How did I miss? I have the deck. You know, it's really not a card in the deck that I can't hit my hand with, <laughs> except <laughs> that one. <laughs> uh, but even even despite that, though, I rallied back, and I, I think I was only down twenty skittles. And uh, speaking of skittles, the game got off to a, a very humorous start. And that's what I love about our home game. We're all. I mean. Most games are always home games like this. You're all friends, right? You know, yeah. Except you're playing in Super Eight hotels, but, um, but you know, I know I know there's people that have home games where there's always some jerk there that they hate, or there's a couple people that don't get along. You know, we don't have that problem. I think everybody gets along really well. We have a good time. We actually even talk about politics this weekend, uh, which is always a dangerous thing, but right. <laughs> it seemed to go all right. I think, but uh, but we have fun people in our, in our group, and, and people like to obviously some of them listen to the show and have jokes. And um, so Gambit, who's been with us from the beginning, walked in, and uh, you know we uh, we were doing the uh, the buy-ins, and in he's like, "How much is buy-in?" Which is a hilarious question to ask because it's been the same buy-in since Carter was president, right? Um, and I'm like, "Is he serious?" And I tell him, and then he's like, "Excellent!" And he, and he throws a big bag of Skittles on the table. <laughs> <laughs> that ought to, he says that ought to do it. <laughs> that ought to cover it or something. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. It's like I went to have some later, and somebody had opened the bag already. So when I picked them up, the skittles went all over. My oh, jeez. You know. And that's what I wonder too. I said, did he, did he? Is he a regular consumer of skittles, or did he actually go out and buy this bag for the gag? Yeah. You know, but uh, it's pretty funny. Um, you know, one of the things that we we always bring up on the show when it happens because it's just it's just remarkable to us i think was we played for six hours and you know we play all the games i mean we play everything you could think of pretty much that's a world series bracelet or from a cincinnati kid movie or something you know what i mean i mean they're they're pretty legitimate games we don't generally stray from you know someone will call double flop once in a while and that's certainly not a world series game but it's hold'em with two boards and it's a local flavor here. They used to play it all the time at Derby Lane and oh, sad that they don't play it anymore. Yeah, so we we uh, um, we would call that once in a while, but pretty much every game we call is something you can find in a casino or, like I said, in in historical you know lore or something. But uh, the entire day, six hours, no one called No Limit Hold'em, <laughs> and that just it just baffles me when you think about the reason we're all sitting around that table. Almost, I mean, some people have been playing forever, but is because of no limit hold'em. Yeah. And yet we don't even call it now in the cash game or the home game. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And even more remarkable, I didn't realize that until you told me that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You're like, I want to add something to the show. And I'm like, well, we didn't call no limit hold. You're like, no, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, because we don't even think about it. I mean, no, a lot of times it gets called. And the only time it really gets called, really, is when someone's stuck. And the person who's stuck is calling it. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they want to try to win a big pot. We should pot. tell you something about the game. Yeah, which <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, but it, it's a testament too, though, that a lot of times we are all roughly up thirty or down thirty. You know, what I mean, it's not 
always someone's down three buy-ins or something. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. something where we're all pretty equally matched. Or, you know, I seem to always walk out up thirty or down ten. You know, I never. I used to go home with nothing, or with triple my buy-in or something. You know, what I mean, I used to be able to. But doesn't do that anymore. Now I'm just. No, it, I don't think anybody really does it. No, it used to be that way where I'd be. Like, I would just always push on a on a flush or draw or something, or and then I would win and double up, or I wouldn't and I'd go down and then I'd be broke and go home early. Or but now it's like we're just always pretty much you know every once in a while somebody goes broke, but they always end up coming back. And it's almost always that way too. You don't see somebody go broke, then go broke, then go broke. That usually they're like, all right, what I was doing for the last four hours wasn't working. <laughs> now I got to play a little more loosely, and then they start winning pots and rallying. So it's it's an interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah, the other thing I, I haven't seen in quite a while is uh, somebody leaving the game early broke. Right, right. That has not happened in a while. Yeah, which is really again an awesome thing as well too. That means that, that it's more further proof of what you're saying that we're all fairly evenly matched and you know they're they're you know there's no this uh, looking around the table and not seeing the sucker thing yeah yeah we're all suckers yeah <laughs> <laughs> we all equally suck <laughs> well that's pretty cool and then uh big guru one of our uh, longtime fans was down here visiting uh in orlando and actually made the drive over from orlando to play in the game so that was kind of cool to have him uh make that kind of effort to come uh when i can uh you know barely put set up the table and cards <laughs> <laughs> Guy drives two and a half hours, and you, uh, you're you like struggling to get the chip count right. <laughs> but, you know, uh, one of the, we really wasn't any hand that stood out or any of the kind of pot or anything like that from the from the day. But one one theme did sort of run throughout the, the entire afternoon, and I, I started it about, I don't know, about 45 minutes in or so. Um, I like to bust chops when we play, and, and, be, and that's mostly because people like to bust my chops. So I like to give it back, and, uh, you know, it starts, like, almost immediately in the game. But I, I was holding back for a while. Um, our good friend Doc, uh, he he, uh, he likes to sit in the middle of the table because his, his vision is not as what it used to be, I guess. And um, he likes to see everything right in front of him and, and be comfortable. So when he drew the ace as the dealer, the dealer was not in the middle of the way we set it up. We just said, okay, we'll make this table with seat, I mean, one, so that Frank can sit. And in by the, the way, middle. This is the second game in a row that he chose the dealer button, so he oh, yeah. had to choose a seat. Otherwise, he wouldn't. He must. He must uh, mark the card or something. Yeah. He must know which one it is. <laughs> uh, so when he grabs, you know, when we moved it, we, usually we do it anyway. If someone else is a dealer, we just kind of move it around so that Frank can be sort of in the middle. Um, even when he comes on the cruises, you know, he tries to get there early after dinner so that he gets the seat he wants at the table he wants, so that he doesn't have to, you know, squint or struggle to see the cards. So. In the course of the afternoon, um, you know, being in the middle of the table, which is where the flop is generally, or where the pot is, or where the most important part is where everyone mucks their cards. When they're not playing in the hand, they basically just throw them into the middle because that makes sense. You know, you're, you're trying to put them where they're easily reachable from everyone or whatever. So, but, and, and granted, Scott's table is like a sit-and-go table. It's not very large. So you can pretty much reach pretty far across this table uh, both ways, horizontally and vertically, and, and get most of the stuff that you need to get if you're going to be the dealer or if you're raking in a pot or something. Um, but so many times when the hand was over, the cards would end up in the middle, and the people on the end who were dealing couldn't reach them. And you can see the people struggling, trying <laughs> to get the cards. And you, and meanwhile, everyone's... And so I look at Frank and... He he just he's sitting there with his arms folded and he's looking at the cards, and I'm like, okay, Frank, you know, I'm saying to myself, he's gonna push him, he's gonna push him, and he doesn't. So I I reach further and I end up and someone else ends up pushing him to me and I grab the cards and I shuffle it and okay, so you know, next person next to me is turn is to deal and they're still kind of on the end and and the cards get put in the middle and the hands over and there's Frank with his arms folded, looking at the cards, just sitting there waiting for the next hand to be dealt, and he's not pushing anybody. And I'm like, eh, whatever. So then, you know, time goes around, and it's my turn to deal again, and the cards are in the middle, and I can't reach them. And I'm like, so after about 45 minutes or an hour of this, I finally said, hey, Frank, your arms work? I mean, you know, come on, push the cards to me, you know? it's, 
And then we all day we wouldn't let it go, and it, it, it was funny. We were busting his chops about it, and he was giving it back and and whatever. But it, it leads to a bigger topic, I think, of of, and of etiquette. Get into the bigger topic, I got to say, what was the most, the most hilarious part of this was that at one point, after busting his chops the entire time about pushing the cards, you actually stood up and reached over and grabbed the pot that you won, <laughs> raked it in with no problem, and then Frank very quietly. Yep, he's got no problem standing up to reach the chips when he wins. <laughs> so, so, and that, and that even leads to an even bigger problem because you're telling me it's okay to stand up and do that stuff, but it's not okay for him, and it's not okay for anybody. I have to be the only one that stands up and grabs my own pot because you're too lazy <laughs> to push it to me, and I want to make sure you're not palming some chips because I can't trust you to push the cards to me. Maybe I can't trust you to, you know, push all the chips to me, too. But, no, the, the thing is, when you're sitting down, I mean, you, you get yourself in. You're comfortable. You're sitting down. You know what? And you're on, also at your house, we're on chairs that are on a rug. Yeah. So it's not like the chairs slide out easy onto or have rollers or on a wood floor or something. So you get yourself comfortable. You're in for the long haul. And then you got to stand up to get your own pot. You have to stand up every time you have to deal to get the cards. And why should I just push the cards to me? I mean, so that's what I was saying. It gets to a bigger topic of etiquette in home games. There are things that I would think that people would naturally want. They would want the game to go faster. That if the cards are sitting there in front of you and you see the dealer reaching for the two cards and he can't reach them, that you would push them to him. And I'm not saying calling out Frank on that part. What I'm saying is that you would think generally, on the whole, people would do that. And it's like... These are things that you need to do when you're in the home games. You want to play more hands. If you want to have a conversational thing and you want to joke around or whatever, that's one thing. But, you know, we're there to play poker, you know. Other things, too. When it's your turn to deal and it's coming up, don't go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, we're all sitting around and we're like, all right, well, I guess the guy behind you has to shuffle again because you were inconsiderate and went to the bathroom for 20 minutes. Then when you came back, you know, it was already dealt for you. And then we pass it past you. And you have to, you know, it's not like it's a big chore, but, I mean, it, we're all in this together, you know? I mean, this isn't, uh, hey, let's just take advantage of the guy who's willing to shuffle and willing to stand up and grab the cards and chips and everything. No, let's let's all do our share so that the game is smooth and goes quickly, you know? Yeah, so this is going to be kind of, a, kind of a normal daily argument I had with my wife. Oh, okay. Um, where I, as most people, have a particular way uh, that I believe things should be done in the world, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And when someone doesn't do it that way, it's not so much because that's the way I want it done. It's just that it doesn't make any sense to me that anybody would do it any other way, right? <laughs> right. It, 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 that's the most efficient way of doing it, so why are you not doing it the most efficient way? Right. Which I think is kind of what you're saying is that, hey, you know, it, it makes sense for everybody to be able to work together to push the chips and the cards so we get more hands in, right? Plus, you um, just, I mean, you're just... People are uncomfortable having to grab. It's just common courtesy to help somebody, right? So, but that's that's what I guess what I'm saying is that uh, so that 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 gives me the red ass, right? Mm-hmm. But then there are times when I know I do things that are inefficient or weird or wrong, and my wife will be sitting there just shaking her head like, <laughs> "How can you not be upset at yourself right now?" Like, oh, what? I'm looking for my phone, you know. Oh, I don't, oh yeah, I, yeah, I guess whatever, right? So I think this is that kind of issue where I am totally on your side in the group dynamic, and hey, let's keep things moving and everything. But on the other side of it, I can see the side of you know, this isn't uh, kids in Ethiopia struggling for a meal, right? <laughs> yeah, it's third world problem, first world problem. I understand that. It's not rising to that level, so. Why do you got to get so upset, Scott? As my wife would say. <laughs> I'm like, look, well, this is not right. And I scream back. So that's what it is. It's just not right, but it's also not worth uh, either one of us, uh, you know, throbbing a vein. Yeah, no. And we, what we did was we just joked about it all day. But it was it was painfully obvious that everybody at the corners of the tables were struggling to get the cards, and no one was helping. And I'm like, okay, you know, can't you guys push the cards to us? I mean, is it that difficult? You know, I so. I don't know. I understand the, you know, and it, it's not, like you said, it's, it's a first world problem. We're just joking around here. But I just wonder about what the etiquette is. Like, if you're, one of our players left to get something to eat and then came back. And I thought, okay, well, that makes the game a little bit shorter. You know, one less player to play with, less money to go after or whatever. And I thought, well, we all knew we were going to be here for six hours. 
you know what I mean? We should have brought our food or whatever. So I'm just, there are things that people do that maybe they're just not thinking about the whole day in advance or something, you know? Yeah, fair enough. So I, that's all I'm thinking. I'm just thinking there's certain <laughs> certain things, etiquette that you do in a game, you know, uh, but but the pushing of the cars thing, it, it just got to be so hilarious. By the end of the day, I'm like, how many times did we have to say it? You know, it's like okay, okay, you guys well, don't want to play poker I will today. Say, I think at the end of the day, most of us are laughing more at you. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> because oh, we found a way to really tick Chris off. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just watching blow a gasket me all day long. Well, at the end of it too, I wasn't reaching for the cards anymore. I was just going to sit there and wait till somebody push them to me. <laughs> yeah, oh, you want me to deal? Give me the cards. It was a wild, wild west so, uh, showdown. Yeah, it was kind of funny. <laughs> All right, as uh, we briefly mentioned last week, Bovada has sold its online poker business to Ignition Casino. Bovada is retaining its casino and sportsbook businesses, and Ignition reports that it will continue to serve the U.S. Mo- market with its poker product. Wow, I almost tried to combine all the last five words in one word there. <laughs> uh, I read this. Uh, it's going to happen by September 30th, so if you're on Bovada, you've got to move over to Ignition, and that it's pretty much... Uh, just a skin of what it used to be, so not much is going to change other than you have to get a different setup or something. But uh, is this like poking the barrel of it or no? Yeah, I, I, really, I don't. I'm trying to figure out why this is a big deal. Uh, if it is a big deal, I should say. Right. Uh, that, uh, you know, because the headlines when I saw them was Bovada exiting U.S. poker market, right? And that's technically true. But it's not like it's closing down the poker and it's disappearing. Right. It just merely sold it to someone else who, as it appears, I mean, we'll wait and see, I guess. It appears that they plan to continue serving the market. So, really, you know, I don't think there's any net loss in online poker availability uh, for those folks that are still playing on these um, unlicensed sites. Um so really, I think the only big headline really is that if you enjoy being on Bovada because when you get done playing a sit and go, then you can go place your sports bets or uh, play some blackjack or something like that. Now you can't do that because now you're just in a poker only environment. But you can still keep your Bovada account, so it just it means you just have to sign in somewhere else. So I, it it seems to me that it, at worst. This is a minor irritation and frustration for the folks that uh, want to play on this site. But I could be wrong, so I wonder if anybody else that does play on the site has insights that they can send us. And I didn't think about this beforehand, but since you said that, I, does Ignition Casino have the same sports betting that Bovada does? That because they're a casino, so yeah. if that, okay. you don't even lose that if you go to Ignition, I don't know. Uh, I was just curious about poking the bear thing. It just seems like, okay, they're still serving, it's a U.S.-facing market or whatever they call it, yeah, product. Right. And I just wondered, you know, hey, now that we're announcing, oh, by the way, DOJ, guess what? There's still a, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, I just just feel like it's poking the bear announcing it like this. I mean, I guess well, it's a transaction. It has to be sure reported they on. They a press release to uh, Preet Bahara at the uh, Department of Justice, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Just circulating the poker world. Now, obviously, I'm sure it got out to other folks as well, too. But um, I, I don't think you could be secretive about yeah. this, right? So no, I, know. I, I just, don't really know how you avoid that. But yeah, you're right. I but mean, I mean, as if you're ignition, if you're ignition, why are you buying the product when you know? What I mean, it's it's like well, there's again, such a I mean, case. Uh, yeah, they probably have customers elsewhere, so it's probably not a, a big issue for them as well either. Man. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Just, we're just wondering, you know. Okay, so it gets put back on the radar for the DOJ to see, and then the ignition gets investigated for having people in America playing on their site and whatever. I don't know. Just, just wondering what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll see. Hey, the Global Poker League has announced that all of its playoffs will be in Las Vegas and later than previously scheduled. Uh, preliminary events had been planned to take place at TwitchCon in San Diego, with the finals held at Wembley Stadium in the United Kingdom. Player availability and logistics problems in moving the cube, the innovative box that players will play in, were cited as reasons. This isn't particularly surprising, is it? Um, what well, the one thing I think is surprising is the cube, right? Because right. I mean, this was a big part of this whole global poker league. Hey, we're gonna do we have teams and drafts and stuff, but hey, we're gonna put players in this cube. And we're going to buy people to come watch people watch these people play like hamsters in a cage. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's going to be really cool because they're going to have to stand and they got shot clocks and all that, and it's going to make it exciting. So this has been a big, integral part of the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's surprising to me that this was built 
without apparently any thought of how easy it is to move. <laughs> right? Yeah. I got to think, you know, because from the beginning, this is always, hey, we're going to do this at Wembley Stadium and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, this, this wasn't stuff that they added after they announced the queue. This is all part of the same rollout. So I think at that point, and I'm not trying to be too critical because, you know, you know we run a business too and we have 4,000 things going on and sometimes it's not easy to remember to connect A to B, right? Yeah. But that's what seems like happened here. A didn't get connected to B. Is all right. All right. Who's in charge of moving the cube? <laughs> oh, no one. No one was. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, can we move it? Uh, no. Ah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's unfortunate, I think. Um, but um, you know, it was, a, it was a good article on Poker News um, interviewing uh, Alex Dreyfus about this, and you know, he, he's honest that uh, first season's been tough. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that were saying that this is too ambitious and probably didn't work because that's always what happens when somebody has something new, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's possible that that's correct. Um, but um, obviously, this year has not gone quite as well as he had hoped. And uh, this is part of it as well, too. Um, the other part that they really said that they're struggling with is player availability. You know, uh, there's tournaments every day of the week everywhere around the world, right? Right. So to get all of these people and all these teams together in one place to be able to play an event means that somebody or multiple somebodies were missing out on a event that pays their bills, right? And uh, they found that in, in the, during the World Series. You know, when there's impossible to schedule a GPL thing in the middle of the World Series because you've got people that want to play multiple events. Particularly this year, Jason Mercier, you know, had he won three bracelets, he reportedly would have gotten two million bucks, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's not going to skip any bracelets. He's playing all the events, right? Um, and that made it very difficult for them to to get folks together. So I think some of these problems that I think some people saw ahead of time, some problems that people didn't think of ahead of time, are all coming ahead here. And it's just uh, it will be interesting to see how they wade through it. Which is always, I think, the um, testament to a person or a business is not how well they do in good times, but how well they do when things are difficult. Yeah. So we'll see. Anti updates. Congratulations to David Burns of Ho-Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin Dells, for winning this year's Any Up Most Popular Dealer Contest. Burn and a guest will join us on an upcoming Any Up Poker Cruise. Thank you to everyone who nominated a dealer or voted in the contest this year. Yeah, I gotta say, he's super excited to do a one. I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? But uh, yeah. sometimes for people, they just, you know, if I, if I enter like a, uh, hey, win two tickets to a concert, I'm just entering because I want to go, hey, if I win, great. If not, I win, right? You know? Um, so it's possible that we could ever, we could get a winner that was like that. Hey, you know, I wouldn't. But, but he's not. He actually really wanted to win this, and uh, they had a really good um, campaign for him um, from the casino and his friends up there in Wisconsin. And uh, very excited and bringing his uh, wife on the cruise. Yeah, I was I was love reading the quotes from him. You know, for the story too about you know they were campaigning and you start reading about campaigning, you're thinking about the presidential election and stuff, yeah. and then how oh, he can't wait to get out of the cold Wisconsin air to get down here and in Florida or on a cruise some exotic place. So that was pretty cool. Speaking of that, we have nine wonderful cruises uh, planned on the schedule right now, including a 14-night transatlantic to Barcelona, a weekend warrior cruise, and a summer cruise, and many more. So get all the details, including how you can win your way on board at AnnieUpCruises.com. All passengers will get a commemorative coin souvenir, uniquely designed for each sailing by the PokerDepot.com. And a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. So that's uh, some exciting stuff that we're adding to yeah, value added. Yeah, both of the stuff in stock now is great. The, we got the poker odds card a little earlier, um, which is nice. fits nicely into um, the little ID lanyards that we give all of our guests mm-hmm. so they can carry it around and keep it convenient. And then uh, this Tuesday, I went down to Poker Depot and picked up the coins, and they look phenomenal. So I think people are really, really going to enjoy them. And like I said, we're going to design a different-looking one for every cruise. So kind of like, as I said on my Facebook page, kind of like Count Chocula. You're going to want to collect them all. Yes, collect them all. Yeah. They used to have, when I was a kid, they had, like, the president coins when you went to the gas station. Yeah, yeah. My father still has that set, too. I wonder if it's worth anything. Hey, anyopokerroom.com hosts a Blue Shark Optics Blue Buster's main event on August 28th with the winner getting $100 and a pair of Blue Shark's Blue Buster's lenses, which are specially designed for use in front of your computer. Also, PokerRadius.com, home of the Antioch Group discussions on the Internet, has added a special forum dedicated to the Antioch Poker Room. 
Antiopokerroom.com costs $14.95 a month and is open to players in 25 states where sweepstakes laws allow play. Hey, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiopmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Foreign Hand of the Week, we give them something cool. Comes from one of our loyal listeners, won't give us his name, says, I appreciate all that you do for poker, and your podcast is quite enjoyable. But oh, thank you. Great. Let's move on. <laughs> all right. So that's good. So, all right. We're O'Malley's move. <laughs> He says, well, for the love of God, please stop trying to analyze hands. Your June 30th discussion of the Steven Seagal hand was embarrassing to the point of, well, just plain embarrassment. <laughs> for what it's worth, Scott was correct in justifying a flop call of $10 simply from a pure hand odds perspective. You know it. Player had nine clean outs and pot odds were four to one. But he couldn't articulate that reason. You know it. Uh, in fairness, I can't articulate it. <laughs> I know, we know that. So, And uh, Chris's decision to shove at that spot, thinking he might have full equity against the set, is just terrible. Well, we all know you're terrible. Yeah, I'm terrible. I only, I only leave with money uh, from the home game every time. Uh, yeah, so, so nothing shocking in this email, right? Yeah, no. And, We're all nodding our head like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we, you just, you know, water's wet, like we say, the sky's blue. We know these things, man. Uh, why did respond to him? I sent him an email, and basically what I said was, you know, which we tell everyone, we like to explore different ways to play the hands on the show, even if we know the consensus is it's the right odds to do this or it's the right way to play this. And what I said to him was that with your willingness to call that $10 after the flop, I didn't disagree with the move at all um, and would likely do that myself if I were in the game. I was merely exploring a different way to play it at that point. Um, and a re-raise there, to me, wouldn't have been a mistake. There's no, there's no, It's never wrong to re-raise if you... If you particularly think that in this instance it would work or get your desired effect, so I was thinking that if we re-raised, we were also didn't know the amount of the stacks at the time, so I was giving myself the min stack at that time that was being offered, and it seemed silly to me after I re-raised if I only had thirteen left not to shove. So uh, it, it, no one's. I don't think anyone's going to go back to <laughs> June thirtieth and listen to the show to see what what the hell we're talking about here. But this is what I told the guy. So. Um, Here's kind of the problem is now you're analyzing your hand analysis. <laughs> you're just terrible at both. Anyway, I just told him, I said, if we didn't embarrass ourselves once in a while, we wouldn't hear from guys like him. So we need to do it once in a while. And we, that's the yeah. thing is that we try to do different scenarios. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, and I would say, you know, we had this come up like maybe once a year or so. That's why I keep putting it on the show. I, mean, I know our long-time listeners are like, yeah, we've heard you guys talk about that. How much of an idiot you guys are at hand analysis. So why do you keep talking about it? But, you know, keep bringing it up just to remind folks that, uh, the one thing I always like, I always like to tell people is that, you know, we're not uh, misrepresenting us, ourselves, right? Right. It's not like we're getting on here and saying, hey, we are world champion poker players, right? <laughs> we go out of our way to tell people that we are average Joes who are struggling at poker just as much as our listeners do. So, uh, you know, to that extent, you know, it, it, it would, there would be a more reasonable argument for us to quit doing hand analysis if we were pretending like we knew what we are talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we're honest about the fact, so. Uh, but then beyond that, what I tell folks is that um, there is value in not always learning from pros or people that really know every aspect of it and can calculate odds in the second and all that, right? Right. Because most of us struggle with these concepts all the time. So hearing other people struggle through them actually can be beneficial. Now, I certainly would say if you had a choice between our hand analysis and listening to a bunch of really good pros that are very good teachers, that you should choose us? Absolutely not. <laughs> right. But I do think there's value in hearing a couple other guys just talk out of hand and mistakes and then of course you go to poker radius and you can talk about it there and people take the hands to another level there um so it's part of that process so yeah i guess if, if folks out there are under the mistaken understanding that uh, we're some you know awesome poker players and they're taking what we are saying literally and going to the table and doing it that's probably a bad thing but i don't think anybody's really doing that i think we're just trying to get people to think about different concepts in the hand and that is a problem, I think, too, is we, for a lot of our listeners, too, is we go like they, they'd really like to focus in on that specific hand. And I'm fond of telling people that specific hand will never, ever happen again. Right. You'll never have those card combinations at that same table with the same people with the same chip stacks. All the things that go into the hand analysis are never, ever going to happen again. But you will be get you will be dealt pocket kings again. You will be short stacked again. You will... 
you know, be forehanded at a final table again. So the fact that we do try to explore all the options, even if we do it poorly, should be, that's the lesson should be is, all right, so I don't like how Scott said that. He's stupid. But Chris might have made a good point there, so I'm going to focus on that. Or both these guys are idiots, but they brought up an issue I hadn't thought about, so now I'm going to think about it on my own when I go out to the table next time. If we accomplish that, then I think we're doing our job. The other thing, too, is you have to remember the, the terrible disadvantage we were at because we're reading it off a piece of paper and we're at, you know, we're at the mercy of whatever details they offer us. And it's it's like, you know, you're playing it with hindsight. So you're trying to think, okay, well, here's where you went wrong, where I might not have done this earlier in the hand, so now I have to reset every single time a new card comes out or a new action happens and start over. And it's like we're not privy to the woman next to me has a horribly smelling you know, perfume that affects the thought process of the guy next to her who may have just been, you know, put into a coma for five minutes, and that's why he made that move. I have no idea what that table is like when I'm sitting. You know, I'm not sitting there, or and you're not either. So when we're talking about these hands, you know, it's basically black and white information that we have, and then we have to play it as that player at that moment and then adjust to what they did and now start over again every single time. So there's a lot of disadvantages. So everything we say needs to be taken with a grain of salt anyway. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. so so here comes some uh, hand analysis. No, I'm just kidding because it's only the first part. But yeah, we have a brand new O'Malley's move. Give you a break. Yeah, tune in next week when we screw it up. Hello and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are again seated at a one dollar, two dollar no limit hold'em casino cash game. We've been driving the action for a while, but a bad beat and a couple new table mates have caused that momentum to shift. We sit with 215. The blinds post, under the gun folds, and we are in the plus one with the king of spades, king of hearts. Not much to think about here. We raise it to $10. The MP calls, the MP1 calls, the hijack folds, the cutoff calls, the button folds, as do the blinds. Four to the flop. Did my kings really just turn into a set mining venture? With about $40 in the pot, the flop, not unlike last episode, brings a mixed bag of emotions. The queen of hearts, seven of hearts, seven of clubs comes down. So now, we're first act in a four-way pot with an overpair to a wet board. Ugh. I guess it's time to see bet. We lead out for $25. The MP insta-shoves for $70 total. He hasn't been at the table long and bought in for 100 He hasn't shown down a single hand. It's folded back around to us. So, is this a snap call? Or is there something to think about here? What's the move? Uh, it's, well, time for hand of the week. <laughs> You're a little scared right now, right? If you're brave, go ahead and send your hands or situations to podcast at danniamagazine.com and and uh, we can mangle your hand on the air like we're going to do with uh, Tyrone Keel, our <laughs> friend from Down Under. Um, and uh, he says he's uh, he sent us a couple hands over the time, and uh, he's playing a tournament. So uh, he says this tournament has been progressing fairly well. It just started level three blinds for 5,100, and we have eight players at the table, and I'm sitting in the dealer position for this hand. Now he said, I should also preface the hand by saying that I had just moved to this table. I had nothing to go on in relation to how the other players played. Always difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Under the gun player, min raises to 200, and it's folded around to me. Um, and we have the ace of hearts, king of hearts, and I don't know where we are at this table. <laughs> oh, gee, a detail is left out. <laughs> Let me just act perfectly for everyone who's listening. <laughs> um, well, generally, when you're looking at a hand like this, there's two ways to go. Obviously, you're not going to fold it. Um, I sometimes I like to just call with these hands, and I'm not going to quote Scott and piss off Gambit. But um, I, I like sometimes I like to just call with those hands and sort of disguise it. And if I miss, then I've only you know left the minimum. But a lot of times, if I'm in position and I'm re-raising somebody who raised, unless they have aces or kings, they have to worry. You know about what I'm doing, and they're just going to call or even fold or re-raise. So I don't know. I I like to re-raise when I have a suited ace, you know, big slick suited ace king. Um, but I don't always do that. 
and I don't know where we are in position. You know, I don't know yeah, who's behind me. Late position, so we're not in blinds. We're uh, let's say somewhere like button cutoffish area. Now, see, there the, the other thing too is to give proper analysis. I would want to know what each player at this table plays like. If I were in the cutoff or the hijack, right? But this is why we do these hand analysis, right? Is because you don't always have all that information, right? So. Right. Tyrone said he just sat down at this table. He has nothing to go on other than the chip stacks at the table. And that's a common situation that we all find ourselves in. So, to go back to our discussion earlier, uh, regardless of what happens in the hand here, the lessons that I'm working on are the difficulty in making decisions when I get moved to a new table of the tournament, have nothing to go on, and I'm dealt a premium hand. Right. So in this case, we don't know anything about anybody, so I'm just going to play a pretty ABC. It seems like it's a re-raising hand to me. I'll get to know the people pretty quickly, too, if, I, if I'm if i making moves and see how they react to them right away. So uh, I don't know. I'd probably make it six or 700 now. Uh, I, I like this hand, and I like being in position with this hand, and they don't necessarily put me on ace-king when I re-raise. They might put me on aces or kings. So I'm just going to re-raise. Yeah, I think I will too. I can uh, certainly defend a call too, but I'm going to raise. I think so. Um, I don't know about seven hundred, six hundred seems more reasonable. Maybe even five hundred, but uh, but somewhere I'm, I'm raising. Yeah, somewhere between five and seven. I don't really have a problem with that. Um, all right, here it says I've got forty-seven hundred in my stack, and the under the gun is the chip leader at the table with sixty-five hundred, with the other players sitting somewhere between three and four thousand. So obviously this guy has us covered, so that's the danger, but really not a lot of danger from anybody else. And would you say we had for chips again? I'm sorry. Uh, 4,700. 47, okay. Um, all right, so he says, uh, in position here with a quality holding like ace-king suited, I would usually just check and outplay on the flop, but I just moved to the table, and the other gun was the chip leader, so I decided to try to make a move here, so I put in a raise to 500. Yeah, that's what I would have done. Yeah, all right. Says I have a feeling that this may have been a weak raise, and I probably should have put in more to entice him to fold. Maybe. Yeah, let's see, kind of whipper sit. <laughs> uh, the blinds get out of the way, and I'm surprised when he re-raises me to one thousand. All right, well, I'll just call. I'm not going to get it all in with Ace King at this point in the tournament. It'd be one thing if it was we're trying to end the tournament, and we're four-handed or something, um, and I'm short-stacked or whatever. But this guy can knock me out. I think I'll just call and, and see what the flop brings. Yeah, I think we obviously get a strong hand here. I'm worried about what he has now to three-bet me under the gun. You know, it's quite possibly aces or kings here, and um, we've got one of each of those. So not very excited about either one of them hitting, if that's the case. Yeah. Um, but obviously we got a Broadway draw, and uh, we got the hearts, too, as well, too. So we still have potential here, even if we are correct on that read, uh, that we are way behind. So... At this point, it's only made another 500 into this pot, so um, I, I don't want to be my first thing at this table. Not that I'm trying to be bravado uh, or worry about bravado, but I don't want my first hand at this table to show that I raise and then fold like a 10. Right. Race, right? And it's weird. It's a min raise. Uh, it's weird, so be careful. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think, uh, well, that's a good point, too. Yeah, uh, I think everybody's still kind of cautious with their chip stacks here. I mean, it's, it's an interesting situation because the blinds are 50 to 100. He has sixty five hundred. We have forty seven hundred. So we're deep, right? Mm-hmm. But now we've got it up to a thousand now. So that's you know t- more than twenty percent of our stack total, and you know fifteen percent or so of his stack. So you don't want to get too crazy. If he's let's assume he doesn't have aces or kings here. Um, I don't know if he wants to get too bloated in the spot either, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if the pot's two thousand, if we call. And your bet's going to have to be about 1500 after that. You've only got 3700 You know what I mean? So that's half your stack. So you're you're pretty much screwed if you're calling this. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough situation. But I can't fold it for 500 with Ace-King suited. Maybe I do shove. Who the hell knows? You know? Yeah, I don't know about that. No, yeah, I know. I know. And, and three bet, you know. There, there, there's a lot to consider him having Aces or Kings here. So yeah. I'd rather... Um, yeah, I'm going to call and see see the happens. feeling after that. Yeah, Feel the temperature of the, of the room after the fall comes. <laughs> All right, he says, uh, with a three-bed here, I'm thinking that he was putting on a show with a min-bed and wasn't expecting a raise. It's also, I forgot that he did a min-raise to start this whole hand, right? So that's also a common aces or kings. Yeah. Um, Tactic. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, putting on aces, kings, or ace, king to be confident to bet three bet here. I'm wanting to see a flop now, hoping I can hit big and see what kind of hand he's got. I make the call, and we have 2150 in the pot to see the flop. Um, it's also possible he has queens here, too. Right, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And it's also possible he has something else, too. I mean, he could have the same hand. Chip eater now, so uh, we don't know how he got the chips, you know. Um, it's possible that he just won a big hand and got some chips, or maybe he's just aggressive with a lot of hands and he's been chipping up. So yeah. if that's the case, it could be, you know, eights, nines, tens, something like that that we do have crushed. Or not crushed, but... No, we can beat. And we, have eights, we could have the same hand, too. You never know. All right, flop is the nine of spades, ace of spades, deuce of diamonds. Um, and here it says, if this player has any pieces board, I'm expecting a decent-sized bed in this pot. However, after a few seconds, he checks. Well, then it's it pretty much a coin flip now for us. It's either he's got a set of aces, maybe a set of nines, I doubt it, or he's afraid of that flop. So... We have to assess, assess if we believe one or the other and act appropriately. So, to me, if a person who che- raises before the flop twice and then checks the flop, it, it's kind of fishy. Um, even if even if you had hit it, I think you're going to bet it because there's two spades and there's a wheel draw. Not that you would have called right. that with three, four, or whatever, but... It's still in the realm of possibilities. Plus, if he just happens to have pocket aces and flopped a set of aces, he still has to think, what were you doing that with? Why were you re-raising me? You could have ace-king, and you could have hit the ace, and it could be the case-ace, that one possibility. I feel like you've taken control of this hand as the villain. I think the villain should bet. And if he did, doesn't bet with a set, he's running the risk of us having, you know, king-queen of spades, you right. know? Or something, and getting a free look at a, of a flush and stuff. I think you need to get value for your hand when you hit it. If you if you check now and then another spade drops, that doesn't pair the deuce. You know now you're behind after re-raising, a raise and then re-raising. So um, I feel like the check is is he's he might be nervous. Maybe he has pocket kings. Um, so I'm gonna bet. I'm gonna bet like I don't know, fifteen hundred. Yeah, I'm going to say we can confidently eliminate Ace-King from his holdings here, right? Probably. Ace-King is clearly going to bet here. Yeah. The two spades out there, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think we can eliminate Aces because even though this board screams you have to bet it here, you know, some of these low-level tournaments, um, people like to get tricky with those things, right? And the the min-raise and then the kind of min-re-raise, we're all screaming aces to me, right? So I think it's very likely that he could have a set of aces here. So what's great about that, I think, and that obviously it's terrible for us because we don't have no chance to get our hearts and um, there's no chance for us to straight, right? Right, right. <laughs> there's really no way for us to catch up if that's the case. However, two spades, if he does have two aces, he's not going to want to see that third spade come, right? Right. So there's a possibility, depending on how well, much moxie we have here, to actually still win this hand uh, by playing the board. Um, And he gave us an opportunity here by checking to check behind. And then if a spade comes and he checks again, then I think we can make a bet and might take this down. Right, we could represent it. Now, do you... I was thinking the same thing that I wouldn't be... Now, I wouldn't be afraid of checking as Tyrone here because I'm not afraid of him getting to a flush or a wheel. There's no way this guy did all this with... It doesn't seem like with like king queen of spades or some spade combination here so i'm free to check here and not worry about my ace king getting drawn out on it's just whether or not we're up against a set that's the only thing so we're really either you know we're either catching a bluff you know eventually with our pair of aces or i think we're going to find out more about this hand obviously on the turn i know that sounds pretty stupid right but right uh, one, if a spade comes and he checks again, now we have an opportunity to represent the spades. It's possible he could have spades, but it's doubtful, I think, by the way this hand's played out. Right. So now we can represent that. If he doesn't, if the spade doesn't come, and then he puts in a bet, then at that point now we got to decide, uh, does he have the same, uh, you know, does he have kings? And now we check behind the ace, too, because there's no way we could check our ace behind, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so maybe we still have a chance there. Um, and or if a spade doesn't come and he checks again, now I gotta think he's got kings or queens or something like that, and it's just scared and. And we can now we can feel more confident about our ace king with our pair of aces, right? Plus the check pot control. You know what I mean? It's already kind of bloated anyway for this level. Yeah. Absolutely. So we are sort of pot controlling this and checking behind isn't necessarily a, a mistake. So maybe we do check. I I, I mean I kind of like stealing the hand from a king though, because then if a king does come on the turn, if he does have kings and he gets there for his price of checking, that kind of is going to piss me off. But. Yeah, you know, I can't. I can't. Point. If he does have kings here and we don't bet, we're missing a huge opportunity to take this hand down, right? Right, now. right. But you know, I'm not going to wait for a two outer to spoil my plans. So, right. you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I do check. You know, maybe I do say, you know, what the hell? Why are you checking now? So I'll check behind to control the pot and then see what happens on the turn. But if he does have kings and we check here, um, and then he gets excited on the turn of river, as long as we feel confident making those calls, yeah, we're still going to win the hand, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing too is that if he, if he really did have a set, and now I don't believe he has a set on the turn of the river, he's got me for whatever he bets. That's what sucks. So you really got to be confident in your read to make. And it he can't have ace king of spades. So right. I mean, there are some other spade possibilities, but they seem really unlikely. So I really think we have a we have a lot of stuff working here for us, even if he does have the set of aces, which is very possible. I'm definitely checking here and then seeing what happens. Yeah, I changed my mind. Let's check. I, I'm going to check. All right, here it says, Now I'm not really sure what to think here. If he's got aces, he could be slow playing, but then aces would have most likely got it all in pre-flop instead of just three betting me, maybe. Eh, I don't know about that. I don't know if you're going to risk 6,500 on a raise to 500. Yeah, I mean, I you, so. you want to get more value out of that hand, right? Yeah, so. I don't think so. Uh, if he's got kings, then it's a great flop for me. Even ace-king or ace-queen would probably put in a bet here. So I'm beginning to think I'm ahead here. I bet 800 And he says, again, I'm thinking this is a little weak, but I'm not willing to commit too many of my chips here. After a few seconds, the end of the gun calls the 800, which has me curious. Well, if you have kings, you're sick to your stomach, and you might call one street to see if he was trying to steal. Particularly uh, if you have the king of spades in your hand. Yeah, and if you bet just 800 You know, if you're going to bet, bet, I think... I don't, I, you know, I mean, if the guy does have kings, yeah, now you've uh, given him a pretty cheap price to try to hit a third king. More than a third of the pot. Yep. I realize it's the case king because we have ace king. If he has kings, uh, I was saying two otter before, but I was just thinking oh, I forgot we had the king in our hand. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that amount because I don't think you're going to get somebody to fold for eight hundred there. If if you're trying to get him to fold, if you're not trying to get him to fold, you want him to call, then you might as well. I don't know. It just it doesn't seem like the right amount, but. Well, the problem is that we can't be confident that we're ahead here. I know he's getting a little bit potentially excited that he's ahead here. Yeah. Um, but again, I go back to my my king king with king of spades. I mean, obviously, it's got to be a runner runner to catch up, um, spade wise. But that does add a little insurance to you when it bets only eight hundred, where if we bet fifteen hundred, two thousand, or something here, then. There's no way that kings are going to call, right? And if we're trying to sell, which I don't think he is, because he's confident he's ahead now, or it seems like it, he's not trying to sell the story that he's on a flush draw. I mean, you may bet a well, flush that's draw. That's the other this problem. This is the bet now kind of eliminates that, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, some people bet their flush draws, but not against someone who raised and re-raised. I don't think they yeah, generally it's do that. Really tough for us to represent the spades now. So if we have to by making this bet here, so um, which you know I probably don't need to put all of our hand into hoping for a spades that we can bluff this guy out of the pot, but... Um, it's an option, though. I like I like having all the options available to me by checking. Yeah. I think the bet eliminate, uh, limit, limits some of our options going forward, and really, the bet only helps us get a, uh, you know, a smaller pocket pair to fold here, and the 800, as you mentioned, is not enough to do that, so... Um, all right, thirty-seven fifty in the pot, and the turn is the six of hearts. So our board now is nine of spades, ace of spades, deuce of diamonds, six of hearts. And here it says not really much help to either of us, I think. And the other gun checks again. Wow. Um, hmm. My pen ran out of ink here. I'm trying to write it. Down. So here's what's interesting: <laughs> if he had pocket aces, right, is that our bet. We still haven't figured that out yet now, right? 
Right. Because we bet, and he and he called. Now he knows that we're we're interested in this pot, right? Right. So he could probably. Again, it's I, I like to bet my sets, especially with this kind of board. But he could be emboldened now to check again, knowing, assuming that we're going to bet again, and then and disguise his hand, right? Right. And if he just comes out betting now, now we got to think what happened. You know, pocket sixes not likely, right? So now we got to think if he bets now that he, he I think you you got to help narrow it down to pocket aces pretty. Because the other thing you said, I think, was because the fact that we didn't check, he can take us off the flush draw, so he's comfortable just sitting back and walking yeah, the dog. That's true, too. Right, yeah. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, I think I check now. because I check behind, too. Yeah, because then on the river, he makes a reasonable bet I'm going to call anyway. Right. So let's yep. just check. Yep. And if the spades come, then he might not make that uh, that bet at all. Even though, as as we mentioned, that we kind of defeated the purpose of representing them. Yeah, yeah. But even so, it's still something in the back of his mind, and then we get away with, you know, if he ends up having a set, then we've only risked, you know, eighteen hundred on this hand, and we lost. We lost probably well, not the minimum because you could have checked after the flop, but after that point, we lost the minimum. So, right. Yeah. Let's check. Um. All right. So let's see. Uh, uh, he checked the second time. I'm really not sure what to do here. Probably should put in a decent sized bed here, but I don't want to commit all my chips by pushing. After a small debate, <laughs> I can see that debating your gets a little <laughs> angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other side. Uh, I decided to just check here, even though I know it's the wrong move. No, it's not the wrong move. No. I think it's a very solid move, actually. Yeah. Uh, the river card is a deuce of hearts, so our final board is nine of spades, ace of spades, deuce of diamonds, six of hearts. Deuce of uh, hearts. Deuce of hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I lost my track here. So now a boat could have gotten there, quads could have gotten there, um, but it makes no difference to us. We're, we're, not, we're either behind or we're not, so okay. it, the deuces really doesn't change anything for us. Except it might embolden him for some reason, I don't know. He was ahead no matter what with this set of aces because nothing could beat him at that point. So I don't, it doesn't change anything. Right. Uh, and our opponent quickly pushes all in for 4,700. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not calling. I mean, if, if we have any, you know, uh, if we tie ourselves at all to the thought process we had earlier. Then the only thing we can beat is a bluff. That's it. Yeah. And if he, if we bet into him and then check behind, then he was like, "Damn, walking the dog didn't work on that street." Now I'm going to try to bluff at, and make him look like I'm bluffing at this. You know, he's he seems like he's playing us now, and I'm going to fold. Suppose there's a possibility he could have ace queen or ace jack or something, and we have him out kicked, right? So. And then you have the question: Why shove? Right? Why not give value for the hand? So then you're thinking to yourself, you know, like you always like to say, we talked about this last week, I think, the shoving makes you make them think, why shove, why so much? You must be bluffing because you've lost, you've messed up too much money in this hand, you don't want to lose it, you're chip leader, and then you call, and then you lose. So I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to fold. I, it's terrible, but I guess I would have folded here. I don't think one pair, I mean, it's two pair, but it's not my two pair. So yeah, right. um, I don't like to go broke with one pair. It's early in this tournament, and we don't really know where we are now. And I still think a lot of the way this hand played down is pocket aces, and we're crushed by that now. So, you know, it is an odd shove when he hasn't shown much interest since preflop. Um, but it's kind of one of those good bet, tap to table, good bet kind of things, right? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, if he if he was if the story I'm reading tells me that he was trying to walk the dog after we bet and he just called and then checked to us again he's not drawing doesn't seem like he'd be drawing with the way he played a preflop so to me the story tells me that he has a set of aces and the case ace happened to come very unfortunate for us and that's about all there is to it and i have to believe the story that i've put together in my head and move on yeah um all right uh, here it says, I'm thinking that he has the ace here with a weak kicker, and the two pair gave him confidence, especially since I didn't fire again on the turn. 
mulled the decision over for a while, but have to make the call here. I've got two pair with the king kicker. Still pretty confident my hand is going to hold up. Boy, was I wrong, LOL. I show my two pair aces and deuces with a king kicker. My opponent shows nine of diamonds yeah, nine, nine. and a deuce of spades. Oh, nine deuce? Are you kidding me? For a full house. I thought it was nine, nine. I thought for sure he had nine, nine when he said that. Oh, no way. Kind of dumbfounded here, to say the least. So the guy had three bet me, pre-flop a nine deuce, then got the uh, dream flop of two pair, and then river to full house. There were a few expletives let loose in my lounge room whenever I was blindsided out of the tournament. Now I'm fairly certain I played the hand badly, but is there any universe in which I could see nine deuce deciding to three bet me? Absolutely not. The guy had balls of steel. <laughs> After the hand, I learned in the chat that the guy had a, was a fish who had been playing this way since the tournament started. Way to go, guys. Could really have used that information before I played the hand. LOL. Oh, wow. Nine deuce. Three, well, it kind of goes back three. to what I was saying. You know, this guy, we didn't know how this guy got his chips, right? And now I think we know that he just plays a lot of hands and gets lucky cards and chipped up. So rather than being a quality player, that's... But no, yeah, I mean, nine deuce. I mean, come on. But all that being said is the way he played it, surprisingly, was consistent with pocket aces, I thought. So you and I were going to get away from it. Yeah, we were going to get away from it, and we weren't going to bet even before that. So the way we played it, we probably would have lost. Well, we would have definitely lost a lot less, but even more so by the 800 bet he made. Um, It's interesting. It's interesting. I, the fact that he hits that flop and checks it, so you're like, okay, I told you it was fishy pre-flop because he raised pre-flop and then checks it. So I guess if he had missed the flop, he probably would have bet, right? Because right. then he would, you know what right. I mean? So so the fact that he he checks it is really fishy. And then we bet and he just calls. And even though he did make that raise with nine deuce, conventional wisdom says that he's not drawing when he, would he, would he three bet us pre-flop? Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, I just, you know, just because he has nine deuce doesn't mean that you go back in time and say, see, if he could do that with nine deuce, he could do it with drawing cards. You can't think that way. So the call on that flop is fishy, or at least he's being cautious that he might have kings and he's afraid of the ace. And the, the turn bet, or the turn, I mean, when he checks again and we check behind, that's the best move we made all day, I think. Um, and like I said, pre-flop, I didn't mind his raise to 500. I might have raised more. But I don't know if that would have gotten this nine deuce to stop re-raising, or I don't know what this guy plays like. So, you know, revisionist history. Well, I think the other interesting thing about this hand, and I'm certainly not giving credit to our opponent here for knowing, for doing this purposely. Obviously, he doesn't sound like he knows what he's doing, right? But it does show how you're able to reverse the power position in this game, right? Yeah. Because you did bit. the you did the min raise, right? Which usually people go, ah, oh, it's aces or kings, right? And then you get raised, and then you kind of did another min raise, right? So everything this guy did made us think he had aces and kings, including checking the flop that made it had he had aces. And so our whole my whole analysis was keyed in on him having pocket aces, and it turns out this guy had nine deuce. Yeah, that's just sick. So, I mean, I, I think the lesson here is if you are bluffing, you know, pick a hand that's not a bluff and play your hand like that. And people got to give you credit for it, right? I mean, he kind of played this like pocket aces, and we gave him credit for it. The other thing, too, is you can't let this hand taint your poker thought process in the future. You, you can't now go into every hand thinking, well, nine deuce is possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you really. This is why you have to have, like Joe Navarro would say, you have to have these base, you know, uh, thoughts about the people when you're playing with them. You have to set up a base and say, okay, this player is capable of something like that. Then you put it in their realm. But you can't always move forward now and think, well, nine deuce is possible here, you know, because it's not. It, this is this is the odds of this happening of the guy actually having chips. So you think he's a decent player, then of him actually raising with nine deuce. And then re-raising you when you actually have a good hand, and then you hitting your hand and him flopping the two <laughs> worst cards on the deck, and you know what I mean the, all of the the planets had to align perfectly for this to have had this line of sight. And there's no way that you need to cling to this. Don't let this get you down or be any thought process that you have moving forward. This does not happen all the time. It happens almost never. Almost never happens on hand of the week. So 
And, and this is why poker is so much fun, right? Right. Is because it's such a guessing game. I mean, obviously, the people that can figure out the riddles better than the other people are the ones that do win consistently. But, I mean, how many times do we talk about, you know, anytime there's a flop, there's potential for three sets, right? Yeah. But you generally dismiss them unless there's some reason to believe there is. But it is a possibility. So it's always a possibility that someone is playing some kind of junk hand and has some weird things, and it's easy to dismiss it. Um, and it's probably proper to dismiss, dismiss it in lots of places, but that's great when you are the one with the junk hand and you end up winning because they dismissed it. So yeah, it's not an easy game to figure out. Uh, second Stellar and Lifetime to Master. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Wood. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.